Welcome to episode 332 of Live Happy Now. We've talked a lot on this show about how music can help heal our emotional wounds, but today's guest explains how it heals us physically, too. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm sitting down with recording artist Paul Cardle. Paul was born with a congenital heart defect that doctors believed he could not survive. But he proved them wrong, and as part of his healing journey, he discovered the power of music. Today, he's a classical pianist who not only creates healing music, but shares with others how it can soothe the heart, literally and figuratively. Paul, welcome to Live Happy Now. Good to be with you. Your story is so interesting, very fascinating. And before we can talk about what you're doing now, we really need to go back to when you were born, which is not usually where we start on the podcast, but it really begins with you being born with a congenital heart condition. So can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and and your birth? Yes. And thank you again for having me. Congenital heart disease is the number one cause of infant-related deaths, and there are thousands of types of deformed hearts that are when a child is born that they have. And it usually requires a lifetime of medical assistance and surgeries. And when I came in and into the world in 1973, this was relatively new. There was not a lot of information. Not a lot of people were surviving. My mom came from a large family. When she was four years old, her mother gave birth to a, her baby sister named Joanna, who only lived two days. They discovered she had a complex heart defect. So when my mother was pregnant with me back then, they didn't know what the sex was going to be. They already had, my parents already had three daughters. So I was number four. And immediately upon birth, they said that something was wrong with me. I was considered a blue baby, a term for kids with bad hearts. And they took me immediately away from my mother. And I don't, you know, they tell me, I, I don't think I was held by my mother for at least two months. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. And I don't have memory of that, but I, I know that there's a science behind that and it can be challenging in the future for some, but they rushed me to surgery. There was a surgeon who was somewhat familiar with the congenital anatomy and how unique and different it can be. And they were doubtful. They were doubtful. They pretty much said to my father out in the hallway and not to worry my mother, they didn't think I would survive at all. I survived that surgery, but they said, you know, we don't expect him to live through the year. Take him home. Don't take him anywhere. And we'll see how he does. And that was it. So I guess it didn't turn out like the doctor expected. No. (laughs) Doctors like to give you the worst case scenario so they come off as the greatest hero. But they were, you know, kids born with only half hearts in the 70s was not ideal. But at the time, there was no internet to tell my parents what was wrong with me. They're very faithful, religious people. And my upbringing was all about having purpose so that there's no way you're supposed to be here, but you're here. So you're here for a reason. So I got an extra double dose of you are special from the parents. And I think that's what I needed because it built in me optimism. And the doctors always said, you know, a good attitude makes up half of the success because you're empowering your mind to say, I'm going to survive. And the mind is very powerful. Yeah, there's so many great studies that show how the attitude can really make a difference in the outcome. And now, 
you then went on to discover the power of music. Can you talk about how early that happened in your life and how it came about? Yes, I took piano lessons when I was eight. My sisters were taken, but I didn't like it. I wasn't a fan of it. I was a restless spirit, left brain, not very disciplined. And my mother said, okay, that's fine. After six months, you can just quit. I quit. I love music, though. I was spending all my paper out money and any money I could get on buying cassettes and vinyls. And I just couldn't get enough of music because it made me feel alive. And when you have a heart defect, you can't do sports. You can't. Right do a lot of things. And so I would seclude myself in a room and just listen to music. And then the movie Moza Amadeus came out in 1984 and, you know, won Best Picture. And MTV was new at the time. And so Mozart, they had a music video of Mozart's music on MTV. And so I fell in love with classical music. And I had a friend who could play the piano and play all that. And I was blown away by the way people would gather around him as he would play. And just to watch him do all of it, I couldn't figure it out. It's like seeing somebody on a unicycle and go, oh, I'd like to try that, but that's practically impossible. <laughs> but I so then my friend, tragically, I mean, it's just like one thing after another. He ended up getting killed in an auto pedestrian accident and it just devastated the entire high school. And I had just had my third major open heart surgery as a effort to preserve my life. It was, you know, I sound like a pioneer with some of the things that happened, but it preserved my life. And I was really confused over why the death of my friend was so sudden. And yet my parents, this entire medical community fights and fights and fights to preserve our lives. You know, I was like, why am I still here? And well, what's going on with my friend? But I was drawn to the piano in my parents' living room and I hadn't touched the piano in years. And I sat down and I just hit one, two, three notes. And the tone was a melody. And in that moment, I felt an overwhelming sense of joy and peace and comfort. And it was in the vibration of what I was playing and how it affected my body. You know, our bodies are made up of 80% or I don't know exactly how much of water. So when you hear music, it's vibrating and soothing your soul. And it was soothing me in a way to where I was drawn back to the piano and I would continue to create to where I was spending three hours a day making music. So what difference did you feel when you were making music as opposed to when you were listening to it through your headphones? It's a similar experience because when you are creating, and I'm like a jazz musician, I don't play jazz, I play classical crossover. It's more like a pop song with classical elements. I would improvise, and as I play... It's like I'm riding this bike and I'm going on a tour and I'm seeing things and viewing things, but I'm feeling things and I'm feeling, I'm interpreting what I'm feeling. And every now and then you'll have those moments where you feel something supernatural or divine and that you get by listening. You can go and pick a certain type of song that you've always known is going to give you that feeling. If you listen to the radio, it's kind of like driving that bike or riding that bike. You don't know when you're going to have those moments. But, you know, Bob Marley says when the music hits, it <laughs> hits. So that's what would happen. And those are the moments I'd remember the music and turn those into songs that would then go on to my albums. And when did you start? writing music. And you describe a very improvisational approach to it, which is absolutely wonderful. It also makes your music very hard to classify because <laughs> listening to it, I'm like, well, it's new age. It is classical. It's pop. So when did 
you actually start, say, quote unquote, doing something with it? That was a means to an end right there where I was creating on the spot. But then I went and I played the song for my friend's family and they called the neighbors over. And you don't just go and say, hey, I'd like to play something for you. If somebody says, play it again, you're onto something. And I kept getting requests. And then I got asked to play in a restaurant and play at Nordstrom's. And, you know, then I made an album and it just snowballed. The internet happened. There was, I think I had the first website where I lived in Salt Lake City and I was gathering the names of people that were interested in the music. And so the business just evolved out of people asking. And even to this day, the record industry is so confused by the number of streams I have because I've, I put the music out there and, you know, for a time we outstreamed Taylor Swift on Pandora and Pandora is a scenario where you thumbs up or thumbs down. So Mm -hmm. we were not doing music videos. We were not doing concerts. I was not doing major press or anything like that. It was just, I put it out and people would thumbs up it. And I was blown away, but it just continued to vindicate that this was what I was born to do and began trying to help other people recognize what they are born to do. And in terms of it being a tool for healing, because, you know, a lot of people enjoy listening to music, but they just don't recognize that it is such a healing tool. How did you start sharing that with people in a way that could help them start healing, whether it was physically or emotionally? Well, I think we have to be very clear in communicating what it is that we do. And for me, the music was very specific to helping me find healing. And then there's moments where people have used the music just to celebrate life and feel calm and peace. But, you know, I have all these studies on my website from Harvard Health. And it's a shame that we have to go to science to prove why music is science because (laughs) music has been taken out of a lot of schools. But music and the brain go hand in hand together. You can go in and you know, learn about how the dopamine is released. It's a form of self-soothing. You know, there's all these studies how certain types of music will boost the immune system, will lower the chances of stress and anxiety. So yes, you know, and so that's why I've been advocating it as such a big part because our kids are going to school without getting that moment where you should be singing in a choir, doing something to help you self-soothe so you don't turn to other things to self-soothe. Music can do that for you. And how do you get that word out? Because it's very true. And I know even to your point about the congenital heart disease, there was a study recently done that showed the effect of music on recovery of people who had had cardiovascular surgery. And they fared better than people who didn't have music in their rooms at the time during this experiment. Yes. And in uh, connection with that, there's a stroke recovery and 60% of the verbal memory improved when they listened to certain types of music. And it's the calm, peaceful, soothing music. And obviously there are other types of music that do certain things. And in the industry, we have to categorize music because, you know, you have people that want to use it in films in order to teach a certain principle or try to persuade through some type of propaganda, but they have to use a certain type of music because they know how physically, mentally, emotionally, it convinces people to believe exactly what's being taught. Music does that. We're going to be right back with more from Paul, but I wanted to take a moment to tell you about one more podcast you might be interested in. If you're like me, you're always looking for more positive messages to fill your day, and that's exactly what you get when you listen to the Happiness Lab podcast. 
Dr. Lori Santos from Yale University not only shares the latest research on happiness, but she also delivers some truly inspiring stories that will make you see the world in a more positive light. And it just might change the way you think about happiness. For example, on her new season, Lori gets really personal. She's talking to people like Rob Lowe, who shares the benefits and downsides of nostalgia, and Lady Gaga's mom, who tells how her daughter was inspired by a simple act of kindness from a fan. You can find episodes of the Happiness Lab wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear more about it, stick around at the end of this episode and listen to a sneak preview for yourself. Now, let's get back to Paul. He just finished telling you what music did for him, and now find out how he's using it to help others heal. So do you tour? Do you, I know you share this music online and through your albums. And like you've said, you've done incredible with the streaming, but do you tour and how do you get interact with your audience? So I have toured not consecutively, but I'll do concerts periodically and I'll do maybe, you know, several shows a year and people from all over the world will fly in, which has blown my mind. And then I do a lot of speaking and playing at medical conferences and other conferences where we're trying to help educate people on congenital heart disease, on organ donation, and then also music. And I've done a lot of high school assemblies in trying to help kids understand why they need certain types of music for study and for when they're alone. Do you get a good response from the schools themselves? Like, are they open to the fact that, hey, this can make somebody a better student. This can make them better in their relationships, really, with one another to be able to have access to music? Yeah, they do. They really like something that I learned over time that is a fact that is certain types of music affects our moods. And what we listen to determines how we treat other people. And there's a reason you crank up, you know, hip hop at a party, have a good time, dance around, be a little foolish and have fun. You know, there's a reason people go into the center of school dance when it's a slow song. So I just try to educate on the specific things, but the schools are, they love it because they don't have the program in the school. And I try to encourage, you know, when you go to college, take a music history class, because trying to explain the age of enlightenment without the Renaissance is, you know, that's what they're doing with removing music from our education. Yeah, it's, it is really vital. And I love that you're also speaking to the medical community about it because I see more and more research being done. Like you talked about, your website has a lot of the Harvard Health Studies, but I'm seeing research being done around the world where they really are looking into the idea of how music is affecting us. How do you see the medical community opening up and embracing that? Well, now that you have prestigious universities like Harvard or McGill, you're starting to see a lot more research take place. And really the latest is that the, you know, the functions of the neural networks and how it slows the heart rate and lower the blood pressure and reduce the levels of stress hormones. You know, they've gotten it so down to where they now say that they want to change. They want to not only just change, like try to push it into schools again, but when you go into a hospital and you start listening to all the sounds in the hospital, you're hearing beep, beep, so you're hearing this single note and it's really annoying and it's actually part of a tritone and the tritones are used to create horror music in horror movies. Oh my gosh. And so when you come into the world or you go in for hospital surgery or whatever, you're hearing the beep, you're hearing the tones that are not healthy. And so there's a woman in Japan who's trying to create all new tones so that when it's beeping and you need your nurse, it's more of a little melody. It's something pretty. It's something beautiful. It's something calming and soothing. 
because they've found that those beeps add a ton more stress to our lives because it's associated with pain and emergency and death. And so the more we educate on what the tone does to our physical body, you know, and melodies and things like that, I think the more we'll advance in making it, you know, applicable. You know, I recently did a story and it was looking at music and heart health, ironically, and it was talking about how when you play music and it was dealing specifically with infants in a heart ward. And when the, the mother was playing music, she was getting ready to leave for the day. And the nurse next to her said, can you leave that? Because my patient is also much calmer. And they noticed a dramatic in difference in the infants when the mom was there and played music. And this is from looking at their heart monitors and tracking their vitals. They could tell such a difference from when the music was played and when it was not. And these are infants. So it's not, we don't think of them as having those skills to process all that. So I find it so interesting that you're doing this and it's in the heart space. Yeah. Even with the baby in the womb, you know, those vibrations, those vibrations, you can put a little microphone next or a little speaker next to the belly. We did this with my daughters and you can feel movement. They move to a rhythm. You can start to see them in the womb kind of kick their feet a little bit. And I think they've done a couple in utero studies, but mainly the ones they've been doing is for people that have cancer, stroke and heart disease and just the way that it's been able to prolong life. Now, because you have so much knowledge about the research and the science behind it. Does that inform how you compose the music? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, I could entertain people. It's not my interest. My interest is to help people heal because my heart, my heart was so damaged. It's been healed. And music was essential in healing the spiritual aspect of my heart. And so it's been my life's work to create and compose specific to that. And when you listen to the albums, most of it's at a certain rhythm and it's at a resting heart rhythm. And dance music is at a higher rhythm because that's what your heart is beating at when you're dancing. And so, yeah, we're very particular in what is being on the record. Now, this last album, I just did The Broken Miracle. It's the first time I actually collaborated with vocalists to tell my story. So it's a departure from providing music that is a tool where I get completely out of the way and it's just you and the music. But this new album, Broken Miracle, I'm kind of like in your face saying, this is what I experienced, what other people experienced. And we have words of all of the long-term side effects of living with chronic illness. It's such great work that you're doing. And it's so important that you remember that and you're, you know, you've blazed a certain trail and then you're turning around and helping those who have to walk on that same path behind you. I think that's so phenomenal. You know, you do have, how many albums do you have out now? You have, you have a lot of music out there. You know, I've been doing this almost 30 years. So there's a little over 20 albums and it's been a blessing. It's been, I pinch myself every day, you know, that I am able to do what I do and have the response that I have. I'm very, I'm just anxious to try to help people recognize their value. And the music also provides, you know, not just a feel good thing, but there's a spiritual nourishment people are telling me over the years that have taken place as they've listened, that they've really felt a cleansing from maybe things they've done in the past where they felt guilt. There's a cleansing that takes place that I can't explain. The science of that, I don't understand, but it's been interesting. That's terrific. Yeah, we're going to tell them how they can learn more about you, where they can access your music. And is there anything that you have coming up that we need to know about and be on the lookout for? Yeah, I'm actually going to be working on a brand new 
albums and music to kind of get you through the holidays. Oh, we need that. Yeah, just some very, going back to the very calm, peaceful piano, going to start working on that. That is fantastic. And you know what? We'll make sure that when that comes out, that we post something on our social media so people can jump over and enjoy that. But Paul, thank you for being on the show. This is, you're doing some really important work and it's beautiful as well. So that is really, you know, it's a twofer kind of thing. Some of the best healing work people are going to be able to do. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you so much and all you do to inspire people. That was Paul Cardle talking about the healing power of music. If you'd like to learn more about Paul, listen to his music, or order his new Christmas album, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. And while you're there, check out our end of summer sale in the Live Happy store. You can save 25% on purchases by using the code SUMMER25 when you visit our store at livehappy.com. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to leave you with a taste of The Happiness Lab, a podcast hosted by Yale's Dr. Lori Santos. To hear more episodes, just search your favorite platform for The Happiness Lab. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. The Happiness Lab returns for a new season, and this time, it's personal. I'll be tackling subjects that are particularly close to my heart and meeting people who've had a huge impact on my life. Listen, I love the 80s as much as the next guy. I used more hair mousse than any human being should ever use. I talked to Rob Lowe, a movie star who was everywhere in my youth, about the benefits and pitfalls of thinking wistfully about the past. The 80s is merely a fantastic chapter that a lot of people like, including me. But I love that I'm not anchored to any one era or to any one TV show or to any one movie. I also try to answer the question of why I never want to get up in the morning to work out, even though exercise really brings me joy. I also go back to my research roots, my expertise in canine cognition, to explore why dogs make us happy. It was magnetic. As soon as I saw her, I knew that she was meant for me. And the exact thought I had in my head is, that's my puppy. The new season will also include a very personal deep dive into fun. Where is all the fun to be found in our everyday life? And why don't I ever seem to have enough of it? But the most personal revelation in the upcoming season of The Happiness Lab is that I reveal a major crush that I have on a spaceman superhero who unwittingly created an important well-being ritual when he took a leak on the way to his rocket ship. The countdown has begun, so join me, Dr. Laurie Santos, for all new episodes of The Happiness Lab. 